Many of you know we've been in a series called the Songs of Jesus all summer. Each summer, we give pause to go through the Psalter. This was the songbook of Jesus. It was the songbook that he grew up singing. It was the song of all of Israel. And today we come to Psalm 42. So would you please give your attention to it? Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. To the choir master, a mascul of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, all my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Do you want to build a snowman? Come on. Let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. We used to be best buddies, but now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? We don't have to build a snowman, but let's try. Princess Anna of Arendelle and her sister Elsa have totally taken over my house. It's been like four years, and they're still there. Disney's the movie Frozen recapitulated the whole idea of princesses all over again, didn't it? It is the Cinderella of the 21st century. Story of Frozen, as you know, is of Princess Anna going after her sister Elsa, Princess Elsa, and bringing her out of her shame and out of her misery. The heroine of the movie, this bubbly, happy-go-lucky, beautiful young girl, Princess Anna, has produced for America a $1.3 billion industry wrapped around one movie. Within one year of the movie coming out, they sold four million princess dresses. 
That is one dress for every, roughly for every four-year-old in North America. At least four-year-old girl. But what we don't know about the movie Frozen is that the voice behind the most bubbly character we've seen in Disney movies for a long time, our precious Princess Anna, who our daughters love to pretend to be like, behind her voice is an actress named Kristen Bell, who for 20 years has suffered from a mental illness that has plagued her and has plagued many of us, even in this room. It's called depression. Many of you suffer from depression, or many of you know someone who suffers from depression. And the rates of depression are on the rise today, and there's a lot of reasons perhaps for this being the case. For example, we are incredibly transient. We move around a lot. Not only do we move because of our jobs into new communities, it makes it hard to start over, to make new friends, but they're changing things at work so much, aren't they? New managers, new structures, new ways to do things. We're perpetually having disruptions in our lives. Or social media. We all know that we're just getting barraged with social media, constantly trying to update our profiles, making sure that we look good to the world, hiding our shame and our depression so that nobody sees it. They just see the pictures we want them to see. Or consumer choices. Sociologists tell us in one book called The Noonday Demon, it is an atlas on depression. There's a very interesting book by a guy named Andrew Solomon. He says that in 1957, when you go to the grocery store, any typical uh, supermarket, in the produce aisle, you had about 60 choices total. But in the 21st century, you have on average 300. And some of our stores are pushing 1,000. So for you, this may not be a very big deal, but when Lauren tells me to go get a carrot at the store, like, it stresses me out. Organic? Washed? Peeled? Baby? Yellow? Orange? Sometimes people experience depression for none of the above reasons. They don't know why they've experienced it. And this seems to be the case with the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the great-grandsons of Levi. They were the sons of a man who rebelled against Moses and against Aaron in Numbers 16. And they were the ones who were spared, even though Korah himself died because of the rebellion. They were the ones who kept the temple gates. They were the hosts of worship. They welcomed people there. They led people in procession of the songs. They were the ones who brought the songs into your house. They were the ones who we always heard their voices singing loud. They were the ones who led us into worship. And yet, and yet, twice in this psalm, you hear the refrain, Why are you downcast, O my soul? So this morning, I want to talk to us very frankly. I want to give you three things we learned in this text about depression, then I want to share three things with you who are depressed, clinically depressed, and you feel the shame of that. And I want to start a conversation in this church that helps to lift that shame, helps you feel like you can dance in the light again, and helps us understand how we need to care for those who are depressed, who do not know why. All right? Three things to the church, and then three things to those who are depressed. First thing to the church, number one, depression 
is not a sin. It is not a character defect. It is not a spiritual dysfunction. It is not an emotional disorder. And chief of all, for many people who suffer from clinical depression, it is not a choice. To say to someone who's suffering from clinical depression, stop it. Like, just cheer up. It's kind of like saying to somebody who got shot, stop bleeding. Like, come on, quit it. We would never say to somebody who had lupus or somebody who had diabetes, don't take your insulin, don't take your medication. But the church says to people all the time who suffer from clinical depression, listen, just cheer up. And those of you who suffer from it, you know what I mean. Mike Phelps shared with me a statistic from the Pew Research Forum this week about Christianity, and it projects Christianity out until 2050. One of the remarkable things that it says about Christianity is it says that it will gain four or 40 million adherents by the time 2050 comes, right? It's on the rise. What it also says is that it will lose 106 million. And one of the reasons why people are running from the church is because they're not having conversations that they should be having, because we're fearful. And Psalm 42 cracks open the conversation for us because the chorus of the verse is someone asking, why am I depressed? And I do not know why. Why, Lord? Why, oh my soul, are you downcast within me? Depression is not a sin. There are times when depression can be a result of sin. If you yell at your kids, <laughs> all right, or you get mad at your spouse, you're being selfish, like you may feel bad, you may feel sad about that. That is, that is not the same thing I'm talking about here. That is a severe mercy, it is a conviction of sin, it is a wonderful thing that God would convict you of that. You're gonna feel tension. You're gonna feel depressed. For some of you who just, you, just one more episode, honey, just one more episode, and you stay up till two o'clock at night watching Netflix all the time, and you've been doing this for months, and you wonder why you're such in a bad, you're in a bad mood all the time because you haven't been practicing the Sabbath. You're not getting rest. And you might feel depressed. There's a kind of sadness and a kind of melancholy state that's a result of personal choice. But sometimes, and Psalm 42 shows us, you can ask, why am I sad? And there is no identifiable reason why. Depression is not sin, clinical depression. Your experience of depression itself is not a sin. And many times, it is not a result of sin. It is a result of a mental illness. The church throughout the years has handled mental illness um, by saying this. Mental illness can only be cured with Scripture. And so we'll read Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. And you give somebody this script and you tell them to walk out of your office. And is it any wonder why people are leaving the church? Because they walk out of worship incredibly burdened. I can't rejoice. Like, it's not my choice. I need a serotonin inhibitor. I need medication for this. Maybe, maybe you do. It's not a choice. 
And we as a church need to stop telling people to feel bad about feeling bad. I don't know, is this connecting with you? Are you hearing me? Okay, thank you. All right. Depression's not a sin. Look at the signs of depression in this text. He says, without any reason, one, he longs for relief, even if by death. Verse 2. There are tears, verse 3. Doubt and despair, verse 3. He goes about mourning, verse 9. He's incredibly sad. Professionally, if you were to go to a therapist, if you were to go to Chris Shaw, or if you were to go to another therapist in town, and you were to look at what the Diagnostic Standards Manual tells you are the signs and symptoms of depression. Notice how similar they are. You have a loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities for more than two weeks. Your mood represents a change from your basic baseline. You have impaired function. Your social or occupational or educational functions are diminished. You have specific symptoms of at least five of these nine almost every day. You have a depressed mood or you're irritable most of the day. You have a decreased interest or pleasure in most of the activities most of the day that you once enjoyed. You have significant weight change, 5% above or below. You have a change of appetite. You have insomnia. You do not sleep. Or you have hypersomnia. You sleep too much. You have a change in your activity. You're extremely on edge or you are extremely lethargic. You have a fatigue or loss of energy. You have feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. You have a diminished ability to think or concentrate or be utterly indecisive. You have thoughts of death, of suicide, or you have a suicide plan. The Bible, friends, is incredibly realistic about the presence of depression. Abraham arguably was depressed in Genesis 15. Jonah, Jonah 4, he knew depression. Job. <laughs> Elijah knew depression in 1 Kings chapter 9. King Saul knew it in 1 Samuel 16. Jeremiah knew about depression. He wrote an entire book called Sadness. Your Bible calls it Lamentations. David knows depression. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go on mourning all the day long. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Psalm 38. It not it interesting that of all the ways Isaiah could have described our Savior, they described Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Jesus says in John 12. Jesus said in the garden, my soul was deeply troubled to the point of death. Mark 14, 33. Jesus never sinned, and yet he knows your pain. And Jesus knows the experience of depression. And yet he was without sin. The first thing you need to know is depression is not a sin. Can we say that out loud together, please? Depression is not a sin. Secondly, depression is complex. The church through the years has tried to make things as simple as possible. And one of the ways that they have tried to do that is taking very complex things and making them overly simplistic. And one tendency we've had, especially in the evangelical church in the last 150 years, is we have fallen back into a trap called platonic dualism, which teaches this very heretical yet pervasive truth that spiritual 
issues require spiritual remedies. Physical issues require physical remedies. And never shall the two meet. The Greeks used to believe that melancholy and depression was caused by, by black bile. That's what melancholy literally means, black bile. And they were the ones who said that the spiritual realm up here is real, and the physical realm down here is just temporary. And if you can get yourself into the spiritual realm, then you'll have life and you'll be joyful and you'll have the life and experience and satisfaction you've always wanted. And the church has taken that same concept and said, listen, if you just pray about it, if you just sing, if you just keep coming to church, like, you will be cured. And let me say something very carefully. We believe in the power of healing here. We have prayed for people in our church who have been healed. We will anoint you with oil and we will pray for healing. We want to do that. Many of you came to the session meeting several weeks ago and we prayed for you. We anointed you with oil and we prayed for healing. And we trust God's word in James 5 and we will do that because we believe that God can heal you through prayer. We also believe he can heal you through men and women who have been to medical school. And we want you to avail yourselves through the means of common grace of wonderfully gifted doctors and physicians and psychiatrists and psychologists because sometimes, sometimes what you need is medical care. And if you come to my office, I only have a couple of things I can say to you. I can help you assess if there's a sin issue that's driving some of the depression that you may be experiencing. But I'm a pastor of God's Word. I am not a physician. And it is my duty as your pastor to then help you have as many resources as possible to help you deal with something that may in fact be a physical imbalance, chemical imbalance. Now I know some, I'll get emails about this this week, that's fine, please send them. I will read them. It is okay for you to sometimes use medicine for your depression. Is okay. Because depression is complex. Second thing I want you to know. We aren't just spiritual people. We are bodily people. In the Bible, the word sarks and soma for body is often put together with spirit, ruach in Hebrew. In the very same verses. We are a united duality. Is there a spiritual aspect of us? Yes, of course. After we pass away before the resurrection, we will be in Christ's presence, although our physical bodies will not have resurrected by then. There is a spiritual nature to you, but they cannot be separated. A separation is a perversion. We must keep them together. We must understand depression as the complex disorder that it is and not be overly simplistic about it. I love in... Um, Second uh, Corinthians 12, what Amanda read earlier, where Paul talks about the thorn in his side. And I love that scholars through the years have struggled over what this was. Was it, eyesight? Was it his eyesight? What was it exactly? They, they, scholars are all over the map on it. We just, we don't know. And I think it's awesome that we don't know. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit says, you know what? You take your problem that you struggle with and you put it in there. And he has given you that as a sign of your utter dependence upon your Savior. My grace is perfected in your weakness. It's, it is complex. We should not make it overly simplistic.
The third thing I want you to know as a church is that depression does not often look like we think. Robert Williams did not look depressed, did he? Kristen Bell, the voice behind Anna of Arendelle, I guarantee you, you see an interview with her, you will not think she, she is the most bubbly personality you could think of. She does not look depressed. Oftentimes the most struggling, suffering people from depression are the ones who you do not suspect that they're depressed. But when you open up the conversation and you begin to say in this church, there is no judgment. There is a no judgment zone here. We are all broken sinners in need of grace. I wear this black robe because I'm the chief of sinners here, saved by the grace of Jesus, covered in his righteousness. When you open up that conversation, you are amazed at how freeing it can be for people who have struggled with it to be able to talk about it. Because the church has tamped down mental illness as though it's something we should not talk about, we cannot talk about. But friends, you're here. (laughs) We bring to the church our struggles and we need to be able to talk about it. Gwyneth Paltrow suffered from postpartum depression. Catherine Zeta-Jones, postpartum depression. We can all think of people who have suffered from depression over the years. And some of us even in this room. How comfortable are you, Trinity, with people talking to you about very difficult things over which they feel lots of shame? How comfortable are you, Mr. or Mrs. Pharisee, of being able to receive them with a warm embrace and say, oh, you are welcome here. There's a great verse at the very end of 1 Samuel when David's men are on the run and Ahimelech comes to David and Abiathar escapes from Saul and he flees to David. Abiathar was Ahimelech's son. And Abiathar says to David, listen, they are coming after us. I am overwhelmed. I do not what to do. I need your help. And David says these very poignant words. He says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. And with me you shall be in safekeeping. He who seeks your life seeks my life. Stay with me. And with me you'll be in safekeeping. If you struggle from mental illness, I just want to say to you, listen, he who seeks your life seeks my life. Stay with us. With us, you're in safekeeping. We cannot promise you that you'll be cured, but we do promise that we will walk through it with you. We want to be that kind of church. Depression's not a sin. It is complex. And often depression strikes those who you least expect it. That's what I want you to know as a church. Now, for those of you who are depressed, I want you to listen to me. I want you to know that your Savior is with you and he loves you. The hardest part about depression is feeling alone. And you get into this negative feedback loop where you feel isolated and alone, which keeps you from community, but you can't go into the community groups because you feel isolated and alone and it eats at you and you just feel totally alone. 
Notice what the psalmist says in this passage. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? They taunt you. Remember when Jesus was at the cross and they said, hey, Jesus, where is your God now? Oh, king. Friends, Jesus knows the taunts that you hear in your mind all the time. And he bore those taunts for you on the cross so that you might be able to know that he's with you and that he loves you. Second, you might need to think in terms of managing your depression and not of curing it. Sometimes that makes it worse when you chase every cure. What do I mean? Some of you need to go and need to see a psychologist because there are chemical imbalances that you might need to have addressed. And you might need the help of the staff or of me to help you identify whether that's true for you or not. I would love to have that conversation with you. On the session meeting Wednesday night, Nathan Keltner pointed out in this text as the elders were talking about it, that the psalm just kind of ends, doesn't it? <laughs> you really don't know if, he, if the sons of Korah get help or not. That's what I love about the Psalms. They're kind of gritty. And while originally Psalm 42 and 43 probably went together, in Psalm 42 it just ends. And sometimes, sometimes by trying to run to cure things so quickly, you actually can make them worse because you wear yourself out to try to cure. When sometimes what you really do need is to go and see medical help. You might need to think in terms of managing it, not just of ultimately curing it. Thirdly, you need a community that gives you permission to not mask or hide your depression. Notice that this is a maskul that is given to us. A maskul was a word of wisdom. It was an encouragement to Israel. The Psalms were written to be sung by Israel. They were the worship songs of the ancient Near East. And it, it says that they were written by the sons of Korah, by a community, for a community. The community of God's people, friends, is the thing that sometimes you feel very afraid of when you're depressed, but it is the thing that you most need because a community will help you think. Listen, they help you ask the right questions. Here, they're asking questions together. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? They're helping the sons of Korah reflect. Why are you in turmoil within me? Imagine Israel singing this song to one another. Imagine us singing it to each other. Why are you in turmoil, O oh my soul? Why are you so downcast? They're helping each other ask Good questions. Sometimes depression, as I said earlier, is a result of some, a decision. It may be a result of our substance abuse in the past. It may be a result of schizophrenia or bipolarity. It may be a result of, of some consequence that we are experiencing because we just feel tension about sin that we've committed. It's conviction. We think it's depression, but it's not. We need to help peel that away. We don't know. That's why you need the community to help you think about it. And you can't help, they can't help you think about it if you don't talk about it. So you need the community, number one, to help you think. Number two, you need the community to help you pray. Look at verse nine. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It's a really honest prayer. The community helps you pray. Why have you forgotten me, God? Third, the community helps you see. The sons of Korah reflected upon their time when they led the throng into procession 
when they led God's people into worship. They thought about the time when they sat in Mount Hermon and they saw the cascading waterfalls and the beauty of the Lord. The community helps you see things that you might have a hard time seeing, and they help you be okay with the feelings that you have of grief that you can't experience those things again. One woman I know whose father recently passed away suffered from prolonged depression. She was not one to be subject to it, but she thought the thoughts of my father, my daddy, actually make my days darker because I know that I'll never have those wonderful memories with him again. And she needed the community to help her process that out loud. They helped her think, they helped her pray, they helped her see. We want here to be that kind of community. We want you to know that you're safe with us. We want you to know that there is a no judgment zone when you walk in these doors. And I, as your pastor, cannot do that alone. I need your help. I need some of your helps to talk about it because some of you are afraid to talk about it. And maybe you should. And I need your help for those of you who don't struggle with it to stop making people who feel bad feel bad for feeling bad. And to embrace them and to be a church in this community that is okay with broken people. It is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools we have. My, I have neighbors on my own street who I'll begin talking to them and they've slowly opened up about their own struggles with it. And they cannot tell their church about it because they feel like they'll be so judged. And that breaks my heart. And I know what it's like to be depressed. I went to counseling every week for a year to get over depression. It's dark. And you can't see the light. You need the community to help you get out. Would you let us be that? We want to be. It's an enormous struggle. But I want you to let Jesus take you by the hand and bring you into the light. He has been there. Jesus knows. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. Jesus said, I thirst. And if you're going to read this last verse, the second verse of the chorus, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Listen, you can't have hope if you don't see that you have a need. And Jesus is opening his arms to you and saying, please come, let's talk. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus knows you need a community. That's why he's put you at Trinity. And you may need to think in terms of management, not of ultimate healing, and that's okay. Let's talk about it together. Psalm 42 becomes for us a beautiful diagnostic of our own hearts, of our own struggles with depression. And if we're going to be able to get out from under it, we must be able to see that it is Jesus who extends his hand to you and says, I'm with you. I've thirsted before too. And the water that I give to you is a water that you can take and never thirst again. It will well up to springs of eternal life. So, do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. We want to see you. 
we want you to feel free to let us embrace you because every single one of us need the gospel of grace and we need the community together. This is the good word of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will help those of us who have suffered from mental illness to feel free to talk about it and to know that Jesus, you are with us and that you love us. And Father, I pray that you help our church to be a no judgment zone, a place where people are open to talk about their brokenness and their shame and their fears. I pray, Father, that you will help us to be that kind of church for your glory's sake, where our confidence is in the finished work of Jesus, who though we look now through a glass darkly, we know that you're coming to make all things new. We see you veiled, but one day, Lord Christ, we will see you face to face. And the incredible remnants of sin in the world that bring mental illness, we pray, oh Jesus, that you will turn that to rights one day and that you will heal us. But until then, you've given us the comfort of your presence, the promise of your word, and of your community. Help us to avail ourselves to those resources we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.